You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the first edition, the first 2021 edition of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, as always, joined again by my co-host, by my partner in crime, Scott. Uh, we're, it's been a couple weeks here. The calendar has officially turned. As some feared, it, we didn't hit December 32nd, 2020. Uh, 2020 is officially in the rearview mirror. We're looking ahead. 2021 is here. How are you feeling? Feeling good, Kev. Uh, nice little holiday break for me. Thanks for holding down the fort. Um, but uh, yeah, no, excited. Got a fun one. Kind of eat the crow edition here today um, with our kind of a look back at our preseason uh, stat leader prediction. So it should be fun. Won't make us look too great, but uh, yeah, no, looking forward to it. Exciting. Obviously, college football playoff yesterday, semifinals, so a lot to get into, and uh, happy to be back. Yeah, uh, we're going to do something that I think uh, a lot of people in the media business are uh, maybe afraid to do or maybe choose not to do, and we're going to admit where we were wrong, and, and there was a lot of that. Uh, we, we went through at the beginning of the season or before the start of the season, I should say, I'm predicted every stat category, passing yards, rushing yards, receptions, tackles for loss. Uh, we predicted who was going to come out on top for Michigan State. A lot of those were wrong. Um, we were way off on some of them. There was some of them that I think nobody would have predicted. Uh, some of them that, that I think we just made the wrong call. Um, we'll get into all of that. Uh, I think it'll be a fun episode. As we go along here, there will be quite a few of these because we did predict uh, a lot of things before the start of the season, our win loss project projections, our uh, superlative awards. We're going to revisit all of that uh, here in the next few weeks. So we'll, we'll definitely uh, admit where we were wrong. We'll hopefully get to gloat a little bit where we were right, uh, but we'll have some fun with that. So just as a reminder for everybody, if you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, we will have Michigan state football, content the entire off season. Uh, so you're going to want to make sure you you're, you're in the, in the subscription pool. I don't know if that, that was a terrible phrasing, but make sure you subscribe at the end of the day, tell all your friends and family about it. We really appreciate the feedback, the interaction. It's a lot of fun. Um, so share this with anybody you think would appreciate as basketball season's rolling on here. 
most of the MSU uh, coverage is going to turn towards the basketball team. Uh, if you're a football guy like like I am and like Scott is, uh, you're going to want to continue to to follow what's going on with this team. We have the the real National Signing Day coming up here soon. Uh, we're going to have hopefully some spring practices, so we'll make sure we hit all of that as we start turning the page here to 2021. But um, I, I want to start real quick here. Again, we'll get into all the Michigan State stuff, but uh, we're recording here on Saturday, January 2nd, uh, actually right before uh, the, the this slate of games kicks off. I know Indiana's playing today, but we're coming in the heels of Ohio State dominating Clemson in a college football playoff game. Alabama taking care of business against Notre Dame to nobody's surprise, but you know, it, it is a big topic in the sport. We are uh, two people who, on an amateur basis, do cover the sport. So, Scott, uh, do you have any big takeaways here? I wanted to make sure we at least hit on the two college football playoff semifinal games that just took place. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first game, you know, Bama dominated Notre Dame. I don't think there's too much to be said. I think a lot of people kind of expected it, and it, the game went about as, as you would have expected. Uh, Notre Dame continues their streak of – losing in uh, college football playoffs, uh, New Year's Six Bowls, BCS Bowls. Prior to that, they uh, can't seem to get over that hump. And Bama, once again, just looks like a juggernaut. Their defense still has some question marks, which I think Ohio State will be looking to exploit. But, you know, Notre Dame just didn't didn't have the firepower in that one. Uh, but, no, Ohio State, I mean, I we, we talked a little bit before we got on here. You know, there were a lot of different ways we saw that game going, anything from a Clemson blowout to, a you know, a close game that could have gone either way. Um, I, for one, and I think a lot of people are with me in that I, I didn't really see this as a possibility going into this game. I mean, Clemson's always got a good defense and their offense has been, you know, as good as anyone's this year. And Ohio State's been kind of stop and go throughout the year. I mean, obviously they won all their games, but, you know, choppy schedule and some of the games they didn't look too hot. Other ones, obviously, they, you know, namely the one against Michigan State, they looked great. Um, so you didn't really know what you were going to get. I didn't expect them to be able to take advantage of, of Clemson as well as they did. But, um, you know, rivalries aside, it's phenomenal for the Big Ten to kind of prove that they have a dog in this race that's that's worth being there and uh, and, and can hold up to, to the elite teams, especially when a lot of the national narrative, at least coming from certain networks, was uh, that the Big Ten was having a down year that, uh, you know, we didn't deserve a spot in the playoff for scheduling reasons or other reasons. I think it was great to really validate that, you know, even with all the scheduling issues and the, and the crazy season that we've had, that Ohio State did deserve to be there. Um, and, and it kind of validated, too, the teams behind them. I know, obviously, some of the powerhouses beneath Ohio State in the Big Ten didn't look great this year. But you, get, you look at a game like the Big Ten Championship where Northwestern really held Ohio State in check. Obviously, their offense couldn't get going enough, but, you know, it was a really close game. They didn't make Ohio State look like a very strong team. And then that same Ohio State team comes out and absolutely drubs Clemson. So, um, you know, I think that should quiet that narrative a bit. We'll see what they can do against Alabama. But, um, you know, I, I feel pretty good about their their chances, certainly a lot better than I did, you know, yesterday before that game. So, you know, props to the Big Ten for making that happen and, uh, and to the committee for, for having the confidence to put them in there. And hopefully that trend will continue for the conference. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I, if you want to tell the story, feel free, but uh, you got yourself a, a pretty nice ticket <laughs> in your hands for the Ohio State uh, Alabama game. But 
No, I, I'm glad you brought it up because that that's been so frustrating this season and I've mostly bit my tongue on it and just said, you know what? It's, it's the media it's driven by ESPN who we know owns the SEC network. They own the ACC network. So of course they're going to lend themselves more to those two conferences. And you know, you know how the game is played, but it was so frustrating all season long hearing, well, the big Ten's having a bad year. The big Ten's bad. Uh, David Pollock said, quote, the big 10 is really, really bad. Uh, even uh, Brad Nessler towards the end of the game, when Ohio state was throttling Clemson in a college football playoff game said that, well, the big Ten's having a down year and it's just so lazy it's basically a group of folks who are supposed to be watching all of these games who are supposed to be keeping tabs on everything. And they see, Oh, well, Penn state's not having a great year. Michigan's not having a great year. Wisconsin's not having a great year. Well, that probably means the big 10 sucks. Like, and it's so frustrating because look, Northwestern, they went toe to toe against the same Ohio state team that just beat the hell out of Clemson. Like, yeah, they were missing Chris Olave, their big play receiver, but um, they, they held them in check. Like you said, Wisconsin, they came out in a bowl game before new year's day, 42 to 28 over wake forest. Uh, that same Northwestern team, they went up 35 to 19 against Auburn. And then you have this Ohio state game, like the word that I was looking for. And I'm glad you kind of brought it up already was just validation. Like this validates what we've been saying in the big 10 all season is that like, no, 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 there are some really good teams here. Indiana's about to kick off here soon against Ole Miss. Like, I'll put them against anybody in the country, especially with a healthy Michael Penix. Like, give me Indiana against Georgia, Florida. I, I think yeah. it's a coin flip game. Like, I, it's so frustrating to hear the talking points of, well, the Big Ten sucks. Even though we had no data points with teams playing teams from other conferences. Like, yeah, you're you're looking at oh Penn State didn't have a great year. Well, give me a Penn State game against Auburn. Michigan had a bad year. Okay, let let's see Michigan go and play Mississippi State. Like, I would have liked to have seen more of these non-conference games just to to kind of validate what we're saying here. But at the end of the day, we have three data points of Big Ten teams playing other teams. Our top dog beat the shit out of the ACC's top dog, forty-nine to twenty-eight. Uh, one of our middle of the road teams in Wisconsin beat the hell out of one of the ACC's middle of the road teams in Wake Forest. Uh, Northwestern, one of our better teams, took down Auburn, one of the SEC's better teams, by 16 points. Like these were all two, three score games. It wasn't even close. So I just I, I loved seeing Ohio State. It's it's always kind of hard to root for Ohio State. Their fan base is not one that really lends itself to humility. But uh, it, it was something where I was cheering for Ohio State because I, I did want to see that validation and something that it was like, look, man, this this is the reason that the college football playoff committee, like them or not, uh, decided to put in Ohio State with with just a six game schedule because they knew that the potential was there for this team to show up. They showed up. And uh, yeah, let's see what they can do against Alabama here in, uh, I don't even know when's the college football playoff national championship. I think a week from now, something like that. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I haven't even paid attention to look up the date yet. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm tired of that narrative. And, and when you look at what's happened with bowl games, not just with the Big Ten, but across the country, you know, you look, okay, SEC, you know, Florida, maybe their second or third best team got absolutely demolished by Oklahoma 55 to 20. You look at, um, you know, Miami, one of the ACC's better teams this year, went down to Oklahoma State. You've got um, Notre Dame, obviously, we talked about it a little bit more before, arguably the ACC's best team. I mean, they beat Clemson. They, you know, it was kind of hit or miss. I think I would have put my money on Clemson after what we saw in the ACC title game, but they couldn't do anything against Alabama. I mean, you've got your top dogs. Alabama's still good. Clemson should still be good. I mean, didn't look great against Ohio state. Um, you know, Georgia snuck by Cincinnati. And first of all, I'd say props to Cincinnati. I think that I'm not going to use them as kind of that, Oh, Georgia hardly got past a group of five team because I think Cincinnati was, you know, a, a legitimate conferences aside top seven or eight team in the country yeah, this I, year. I think they were the better team watching that game. Like Georgia got away with a couple things. I think Cincinnati was just the better team in that matchup. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And and they but but at the end of the day when you're looking at these conference biases, you know, most people with a bias towards probably the SEC more than any other conference would say okay, they should be handling Cincinnati by a couple scores at a minimum. And and they I mean Luke Fickle pulled to James Franklin in the fourth quarter of that game and his his play callers as well. I mean, the way that they you, mismanaged the clock the play calling obviously there was that big third down where they could have run off 40 seconds if they didn't get it and they threw the ball I mean it was really a silver platter for Georgia Georgia to sneak away with the win there but but yeah I mean all in all when you look across the map with these second and third tier teams playing out of conference games the Big Ten I would say has the best resume of any at least any power five I haven't really gone down to look at uh, you know the group of five conferences that closely but uh but yeah i mean the big Ten's showing out i mean it's it's exactly what the conference needed with obviously their scheduling woes this year and, and the narrative that they've had throughout the season um and, and yeah so looking at the the national championship game obviously we've got ohio state coming off a really tremendous win and alabama you know steady sally there, looking like the best team in the country again so we'll see what we get um you mentioned a little bit i i do have a great ticket in my pocket um I'm not a betting man, typically. Uh, actually, I'd never placed a sports bet until yesterday's Ohio State game, but I was feeling uh, energized. There was a lot of chatter in the group, me, and I, and I decided to get on the train. And I, I went on, I downloaded, I'm in New Jersey, so, you know, I went on FanDuel Sportsbook and, uh, you know, had the intention of putting $30 on the o Ohio State money line, right? So I downloaded unfamiliar app, unfamiliar, <laughs> you know, general world of sports betting. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I see Ohio state and I place a $30 bet. Well, turns out I placed a $30 bet on Ohio state winning the national championship <laughs> outright, just straight up. Um, I, it, for whatever reason, the actual Ohio state Clemson game hadn't like refreshed on their page or whatever. So it didn't pop up. I saw Ohio state. I placed it. Um, and before the game started, you know, I was, I was sitting there like, Oh my God. Um, and then Clemson comes out and just waltzes down the field. <laughs> it's like a four play drive. touchdown drive. <laughs> yeah. Four play touchdown drive. I'm sitting there with, well, I ended up putting the, I ended up going back and putting $30 on Ohio state against Clemson. So I had $60 on, on the Buckeyes. Clemson walks down the field on the first drive and I'm just sitting there sweating. Um, obviously <laughs> it worked out. And now I have a, a $30 
ticket on uh, on Ohio State against Alabama with plus 600 odds. So um, roll with me there if you feel <laughs> so inclined. I'll be sweating out the national championship, but it's, it's worked out in my favor so far. Needless to say, I don't think it's my my world. I'm not going to stick with it. There's a reason I wasn't a betting man. And after this, I'll probably shut it down. But hopefully I'll come out with a nice, healthy profit and, uh, and a good story to tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been betting for a few years now, and it's just a couple bucks here and there. I'm not a I'm not a high stakes guy, but uh, it, it was so funny when you texted us that because it's very easy to get lost when you're on these websites too, because they'll have different, they'll have the featured bets page and then they'll have, and if you don't really know what you're doing, you can get very confused very quickly. Um, And even as somebody who's been doing it for, I don't know, four or five years now, um, even from time to time, like I'll be live betting something and I'll mistakenly put, you know, something on, I accidentally put like a first half over instead of like the whole game over or something. And I'll look back like, God damn it. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it was so funny when you sent that. And then as Ohio state starts rolling and, and we're all in the group chat, like, Hey, Scott, you got yourself a nice ticket there, bud. Like, so I don't know, maybe off air. Uh, if you're, if you're so inclined, I'll, I'll give you the lesson on hedging bets and how you even come out on top, but Hey, why not just double down and uh, you know, hope Ohio state can take this thing and, and get you and you and the fiance, a nice dinner or something. So that was a great <laughs> story. Yeah. But let's, um, let's get into what, what we came here to talk about. I uh, got the, the kind of national conversation out of the way. So uh, like we said, going into the season, we predicted every stat category for Michigan state. Some of them we hit, most of them we did not. Um, so we'll kind of talk about that and really kind of focus on what were the lessons that we learned whether it's about, I don't know, the depth chart and the talent that are, are at these positions, whether it's the coaching staff and how they're going to utilize these players moving forward. You know, what, what did we really learn from where we, we started to, to where we are finished now? Again, as, as the calendar turns to 2021 and we're starting to evaluate what we have on this roster, what we have in this coaching staff, and beyond. So we'll start here with the quarterbacks. I think that's kind of the easiest place to start. We had combined passing yards, passing touchdowns into just who was going to be the leader. I think it was kind of silly to say, well, I think this guy's going to lead in passing yards, but this guy's going to lead in passing touchdowns. So we just combined the two. Uh, I had Rocky Lombardi, Scott, you said Theo Day. Uh, Luke Baker, our, our guy on Twitter, he threw us a couple predictions as well. He said Peyton Thorne. Uh, it actually came out to be Rocky Lombardi. Now, the the kind of analysis, I went back and listened to the episode that we we talked about this to just try to get some of the context of the picks that we were making. And really, we 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 hit it on the head as far as the the general analysis of it. Um, it was just a couple of the specifics that didn't work out, right? I, we were both saying, okay, Rocky Lombardi is going to start the season. And at some point, he's probably going to lose the job to somebody. Whether that's Peyton Thorne or Theo Day, nobody outside of that building had any lean. Uh, a lot of people were on Theo Day being the starting quarterback. 
Um, so that's, that's really how it worked out, right? Rocky Lombardi, he came in there. Uh, he got a little bit longer leash than a lot would have liked. And he eventually lost his starting job to Peyton Thorne, but he did hang on to the job long enough to lead the team in passing yards with 1,090 and passing touchdowns with eight. Obviously Peyton Thorne came in uh, later on in the year, but just, you know, he, he had like half the attempts that Rocky did. It just wasn't going to be enough to overtake him. So um, as far as like the quarterbacks, how the coaching staff is going to use these quarterbacks, what we have in Peyton Thorne, like what did you learn from where we were as we were recording this prediction to where we are now here on January the 2nd? <laughs> uh, what haven't we learned? Um, I mean, as it stands, you know, Rocky is no longer with the program um, looking for greener pastures at Northern Illinois. Uh, Peyton Thorne might be our starting quarterback. We've got obviously a grad transfer coming in for some competition and Theo day. I don't think touched the field at all. No. I, he certainly didn't have an attempt. I don't know if he handed the ball off once or twice here or there at some point. I don't think so. Um, yeah. I mean, I got it wrong with Theo day versus Peyton Thorne. Uh, like you said, we both kind of expected Rocky to lose the job and uh, for whatever reason, he got that long leash. Um what we learned is we're kind of in a similar spot going into the next off season <laughs> that we were this off season. We have some options all with their pros and cons and really not a whole lot of film, at least in our program uh, for any of them. So we'll see kind of how this hashes out. Obviously Peyton Thorne had an opportunity to win uh, a QB battle this previous off season, and he wasn't able to do that. Now, granted, they only had about a month to practice and get looks at them. I don't even know if they had a month. I think it was more like three weeks. Um, so we'll see though. I mean, he, he wasn't successful in winning over the coach's trust in the time that he had in front of them in the previous off season, they brought in, you know, some competition that's certainly going to give him a little nudge. Um, and, and his, his performance, while there were certainly bright patches and, and reasons for hope going forward, his performances weren't something that were, you know, the most inspiring thing you could possibly see his stats. When you really look at them, you know, I would say out of context of the games, but when you look at them against Rocky Lombardi, I mean, he had his passer rating was 1.4 points higher than Rocky Lombardi for the season. Their yards per attempt were almost identical. Their passing percentage, um, his, their completion percentage, his was only 3% higher than Rocky's. So like you really didn't get a huge upgrade all in all. Like I said, you had some bright spots. He had two different streaks of like 15 straight completions or 11 or something. I don't remember the specific number. So he, he certainly, I think, shows bright spots and, and he was a lot younger than Rocky. So you'd expect there's more potential and room to grow there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just for the position as a whole going into the next offseason, you get once again, got a wide open um, QB battle with some good options. You've got Hamp Faye coming in who, who knows he's going to enroll early. Who knows if he really is, you know, better than expected. We don't have a lot of film on him over the last couple of years. Maybe he even makes a push for the job. Noah Kim's been in the program for a year. Haven't heard much about him, but going into his second year, he's going to get a shot this off season. So you've got like four or five guys that are going to be, you know, at least to themselves aiming for that job. And uh, it's exciting, but again, it's nerve wracking. And, and fingers crossed we can get a full off season to really evaluate these kids um, so that we can go into the season with some confidence. Um, but yeah, Theo Day prediction, obviously way off. Um, and, and we'll see where we end up next year. Yeah, this is one of the few that I did get right. And I don't even feel good about it because <laughs> that was the prediction was, 
Yeah, I think this is what's going to happen. Like he'll get replaced eventually, but I I just thought like yeah, he'll he'll get a long enough leash that, you know, he'll still end up leading these categories and that's exactly what happened, but I just, you know, I don't feel good about it. Uh but like you said, I think this is one of the the positions that I was starting to think about like, okay, next year for these predictions, there will be probably a couple that will be a little easier because we do have a feel of, all right, well, this is kind of what we want to do on offense. This is the scheme that we're playing on defense. These are the players that the coaching staff seems to to like. This year was a total crapshoot on some of these, but there are a couple positions next year and I'll, I'll talk about them, but quarterback is one of them where it's like, we're going to be right back to where we started. Like you said, is it Peyton Thorne who we only have a couple games really to look at? Is it Anthony Rousseau who has a lot of starting experience, but on a completely different team in a different conference? Is it the freshman who's enrolling early? Like there's going to be this quarterback storyline again. So it'll be probably just as much of a crapshoot next year as it was this year. So that that'll be fun. But uh, rushing, uh, this is one that we definitely got wrong. Uh, but I, I would say hand up, probably everybody associated with Michigan State football also got wrong. Uh, rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, we both predicted Eli Collins. Uh, receiving yards from a running back, we also had as a category we both picked Anthony Williams there. Um, of course, Jordan Simmons led the team in rushing yards with 219. Eli Collins with 41 carries and 90 yards. Not what we were expecting there. Uh, as far as receiving yards from a running back, that was Connor Hayward, 18 catches, 71 yards, and two touchdowns. As far as the, the rushing touchdowns, if you had Tyler Hunt, leading the team in rushing touchdowns <laughs> on your bingo card going into the year, um, go buy a lottery ticket. Cause I don't know what to tell you. You got a horseshoe up your ass or something. Um, Tyler Hunt and Peyton Thorne, both with one rushing touchdown. And that's all she wrote for the season. So I don't know, man. Like I said, this is one where everybody associated with Michigan state football, anybody who watched any Michigan state football last year, would have told you that Eli Collins would lead the team in rushing yards, barring any injuries or something like that. So to see Jordan Simmons come out on top was very surprising. Um, we're, we're bringing in obviously the Auburn transfer and I don't know, like is Eli Collins a transfer guy? Like, do you see him leaving the program? Is he somebody that you think can get back into competition for this job? Like, I, I think the narrative since, uh, was it Harold Joyner from Auburn is coming in yep. that him and Jordan Simmons are going to, you know, kind of be a one, two punch for the next three years. Is there a way Eli Collins breaks back into that? Or, or do you think he might be a transfer candidate that that's kind of a storyline that I'm interested in following this year? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. Um, and I guess the, the regression of Eli Collins caught everyone off guard. I mean, looking back in the last preseason, I think everyone was, or off season, everyone was looking at Eli Collins as one of the lone bright spots, probably the lone bright spot on the offense. Well, the receivers as well, but, um, but even know, the receivers, like he was the one like certainty that we're like, yeah, yes. all right. Eli Collins put him in Sharpie. 
Yeah, it was like the given, you know, we were we were thinking he was going to have a Javon Ringer-esque, you know, 35 carries a game, like just, you know, give him the ball as much as he can handle it and, and let him go. And I I can't speak to why he regressed so much. It caught, like I said, caught pretty much everyone off guard. Um, and looking into next year, I mean, will he transfer? I don't know. You'd think if he was going to, it would have, you know, you'd think it would have already happened. Um or it will happen very shortly if it, if he has plans on that. Um, he's still, I mean, you, you think he has the potential he's done it before. The problem is, you know, what's his role going to be next year? Because you've got a busier room next year than you had this year. Obviously you had the departure of Anthony Williams as a transfer this year, but you've still got Jordan Simmons, like we said, who's, you know, kind of the lead back, from a returning perspective next year, but you've also four years of eligibility (laughs) and you've still got Connor Hayward um, who I don't think a lot of people have talked about, but he's, he has not left the program. So he was a guy who was kind of, I mean, probably more of a centerpiece in the offense than Jordan Simmons this year. Granted Simmons was injured a couple of games, but Hayward's still going to be there and the coaches obviously trust him. And then you've Connor got Hayward's like the, the, in the nicest way possible, this is going to sound terrible, but he's like the cockroach of MSU football. Like we, <laughs> just, we tried to get rid of him for a second, but he just came right on back, you know, did his thing three yards of carry. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any way we're going to get rid of him anytime soon. I mean, I, I don't know specifically, I, I haven't, research this but I believe just looking at his kind of stats and games played I think he still has two years of eligibility because last (laughs) year he played in four games decided he was going to enter the transfer portal and redshirted I believe he redshirted I I don't see why he wouldn't I know the rule last year was four games and this year it's a free year of eligibility so you could see Connor Hayward you know for the next two (laughs) years um, in this offense with he's going to start approaching worse, so. like career rushing, you know, like top 10 or something, <laughs> just, just uh, at least like an attempt Frank Gore longevity, total running back snaps in MSU history. <laughs> he's going to be at the top, even if he only has like 800 yards to his name. But uh, yeah, so you got him there, Jordan Simmons, like I said, Harold Joyner, who from an athletic and potential perspective is probably, you know, the best thing we're looking at on our roster. You've got a couple new guys, uh, Davion Prim's coming in and, and there's been a lot of chatter about him. So, um, I mean, it's going to be an absolutely full room. I think Brandon Wright's still with the program as well. And there was some chatter coming into this season about him getting some more snaps, uh, a little bit bigger back change of pace guy, uh, you know, for more goal line kind of stuff. But so you've got, I don't, I don't know if you count them up six, seven, eight guys who are going to be vying for touches and carries next year. Does Eli Collins, I mean, is there a role for him when you just came off a year where you got 40 touches and averaged 2.2 yards a carry, didn't really make anything happen, and receiving game, again, didn't really make much happen. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. He's got a great season last year under his belt to, to attract potential suitors if he does decide to transfer. So wouldn't be surprised, but you'd expect it, like I said, to happen pretty soon. Um Perhaps next year he's, you know, if, if he sticks around the program, gets off to a slow start next year again, it's one of those kind of red shirt, enter the transfer portal early in the year situations. We'll see. But I mean, obviously would love to have production from him again. He showed kind of what Jordan Simmons showed this year. He had last year, but to a, I would say a much probably more um, inspiring degree. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say all in all, when you look, look up and down these, these position groups coming into the season, I'd say this is probably the, the biggest surprise of anyone across the entire roster, as far as what was expected versus what kind of we got out of him. 
Yeah, like it's like that was the one certainty we had going into this year, and that that's the craziest part with Eli Collins is, man, I, there's a lot of these position groups where somebody kind of came out of nowhere and surprised us in a good way. Some somebody disappointed us, but not to this extent, not to the extent of a guy that, that was the one certainty on the roster who turned out to just, yeah, like I said, 2.2 yards of carry. I mean, there was just nothing all year that really inspired any confidence. So I I'm curious to see and kind of follow what happens there, but I don't know if it was a scheme thing. I don't know what, what happened, but he, he just did not look like the same running back we saw uh, in 2019. So under the, the pass catching statistics, so uh, receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, receptions, we both said uh, Trey Mosley turned out to be uh, the transfer Jaden Reed uh, receiving yards. I said, Jaden Reed, you said Trey Mosley. Uh, and then receiving touchdowns, I said Trenton Gillison, you said <laughs> Eli Collins. So we were both way off on that one. Nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. So that's going to sound insane as it probably should realistically. But I remember like right after we finished recording that you basically I, I looked at you because we hadn't talked about yeah. what we were. We hadn't shared our predictions. Right. We we wanted to kind of keep the, the reactions genuine. And we finished recording and I was just like, Eli Collins, like, really? And you basically said like, yeah, um, I like, I was looking at the wrong page. I had the wrong <laughs> statistics pulled up and it was in the wrong category. And by the time I realized it, I just, I was just rolled with it. And to your credit, again, I went back and listened. You made a pretty compelling argument for it. Like as far as just going off the fly. So I do give you credit there. I mean, in all honesty, like your your pick, Eli Collins had zero receiving touchdowns. My pick, Trenton Gillison, had zero receiving touchdowns, so mine wasn't any better. Uh, Trenton Gillison had five catches and 49 yards on the year. He disappointed me. I, I thought he was out for a breakout year. But, yeah, I mean, you look at this receiving group, uh, Jalen Naylor led the team in, in yards with 515 and with touchdowns with four. Jaden Reed led in, in receptions, second in yards, second in touchdowns. Um, and then Ricky White, he had that big Michigan game, but that was it. He had two catches the rest of the season. Uh, Matt Dotson had over 100 yards. And, and other than that, you just had a spattering. Um, I guess for me, like, you know, we both had Trey Mosley for a couple categories here. I will say that him not being healthy to start the year definitely put him behind the eight ball he still finished with seven catches 71 yards um in i think he only played in like two or three games at the end of the season four games okay so he had he got hurt in the Rutgers game week one so he had one catch and then he went down and then he played three games northwestern ohio state and penn state um was trending upwards he had his best game against penn state at the end of the year so I don't know, like if he was healthy the full season, could that have been different? Maybe. Um, was it still the wrong prediction? Yeah. Like we missed on Jalen Naylor. Neither of us predicted him for any of the categories. And uh, he turned out to definitely be our best receiver this year. So I don't know, like the, the kind of takeaway here is like, we just have a, a pretty talented and pretty deep 
receiving group and and we just picked the wrong guys like that that's kind of my takeaway I don't think it was like blatantly absurd to say Trey Mosley was going to lead it and I think if if Trey Mosley came out next year and led the team in receptions I wouldn't really be too surprised so I, I don't feel too bad about that one but I don't know what are what are the lessons learned what are the takeaway here from the the receiving group yeah like you said I think it's just that we have a lot of really good options going into next year and I remember you know when we were making these predictions or or trying you know talking through them before we actually announced them we were just chatting you and I about we just had no idea what to expect with this offense Um, you've got you had a lot of guys like good not great playmakers Um, there wasn't we thought you know Eli Collins might be the only guy where you could say like he's going to get his chances you know and he's going to make plays the rest we're just going to see where it comes from and that made these categories really hard to predict Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor play a similar brand of receiving and we didn't really know which one was going to come out on top and really when you look at the stats they had a pretty even year Naylor had some longer receptions Jaden Reed was a little bit more of a possession receiver Um, and like you said Ricky White was kind of hopefully not a flash in the pan but at least for this season a flash in the pan Um, and, and it was it was tough to predict but at the end of the day we have you know, trustworthy receivers uh, at, at most positions, even the tight ends started to get a little bit more involved at the end of the year. Um, and, and whoever plays quarterback next year is going to have, you know, a lot of his, his choice of weapons um, to throw the ball to next year. It's going to be another hard category to predict next year. Uh, obviously we're returning, I think from a pass catching perspective, almost everyone. Um, I well, actually, given eligibility, we could return everyone we want, considering, you know, we get all of our eligibility back. Um, Matt Dotson, I think, was one of the only pass-catching seniors on the team, but he's certainly not going to depart for the NFL. So he'll have, assuming, you know, there's still a spot for him in, in Tucker's yeah, uh, death chart. Right. Assuming Dotson comes back, we're, as of right now, we're losing one catch for five yards from Anthony Williams and all of the other receiving yards and production is coming back. Right. So, um, yeah, we'll have a lot of weapons and, uh, it was kind of the same narrative coming into this season of, you know, we're of all the position groups as a whole, as a position group, I think the receivers are the most well-rounded I'll, I'll even group in just pass catchers in general, I'll throw tight ends and, yeah. you know, receiving backs in there as well it's a really diverse group and a lot of guys who, you know, run routes. Well, uh, pretty good hands. Naylor struggled a little bit with drops in the middle of this season, but over all in all, you know, had a pretty good year and, and made some catches he probably shouldn't have also. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think, again, it comes down to who's the quarterback and is he good enough to put the ball on target, but it's, it's an exciting kind of group, even looking into next year. It's something we talked about was, you know, the receivers should be good this season. But even next season, they're all coming back. And even the season after that, most of them are going to be coming back. So this is a group that could be really foundational in whatever progress Mel Tucker can build over the next couple of years. And and next year, you know, I think we'll be looking to utilize them even more, hopefully with a little bit more consistency at quarterback. So really exciting. Um, a lot of guys that I think showed a lot of flashes this year and have, I think, pretty much everyone still has potential to uh, to fulfill, um, especially the, the two outside guys in Reed and Naylor and you know, I mean, there's, there's that kind of that itching feeling in the back of my head that guys like Ricky White and Trayvon Morgan, 
you know, are, are going to blow up. I mean, Ricky White showed exactly what he can do. He can be the guy you just throw the ball up and he finds a way to get underneath it and make a play. And Trayvon Morgan, I'm not going to put too much stock into one catch, one touchdown catch for the year, one 26-yard touchdown He had the other catch that they still aren't counting in his oh, yeah. statistical. Oh, yeah, still in there. Because <laughs> we still got so, Kalon Gervin one catch for 20 yards. So, yeah, Trayvon should be two catches for 46 in a touchdown. But so, still, we're, we're counting this on two catches. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, he's still kind of your project receiver. He's almost like a Marcus Bingham for you basketball fans where, like, you bring him in, maybe didn't show – as much potential as other guys as a recruiter as a freshman and whatnot but like he's just got the physical attributes that if the right things break for him he could just be you know a really really exciting piece almost like a gadget red zone gadget player for us going forward so um yeah it's an exciting group um hopefully like we said we can get some more consistency out of quarterbacks find a guy who's ready to go and ready to get him the ball and uh and we'll have an exciting year in the passing game next year yeah, it, like you said, I mean, going into next year, I, I think it is a really exciting group. It's something that when we were talking about, like, should we bring in a transfer quarterback? Can we bring in a talented transfer quarterback? Is this an appealing destination? That was kind of the big sticking point was like, hey, look, the, the offensive line might not be great. Running game behind you might not be great. Uh, the the win and, wins and losses might not be great, but you're going to have some weapons to throw to. And so if that's something that a quarterback is looking for, which I'm sure it is, uh, that that's definitely the reason that Anthony Rousseau probably decided to come to East Lansing is hey, we got a skilled group of wide receivers that he hasn't had at Temple. So that, that'll be really interesting. Whoever is the quarterback, whether it's Rousseau or Thorne or even Hampton Fay, which it probably not, but um yeah, they're going to have some guys to throw to, and this is going to be another hard one to predict next year with everybody coming back. Uh, offensive line we'll touch on quickly. We just did the pancakes. Uh, at some point this offseason, Michigan State will update their page, uh, and they'll give us their Dominators stat. It's not available right now, so I can't say conclusively who uh, predicted this correctly or incorrectly. I had Kevin Jarvis. Scott, you had J.D. Duplain. Um, I, I guess the real conversation point around the offensive line is like, was there anybody who really stood out? I, like, I think it wasn't a great year. I think we can all agree on that. Um, uh, for me, I think JD Duplain, your pick was probably the best offensive lineman of the group. It seemed that whenever we did get something going in the Northwestern game, uh, it's sometimes of the Penn state game it seemed to be that left side of the line and it seemed to be as a result of JD Duplain more often than not. Um, you know, I would have to go back and really look with a fine tooth comb at this offensive line specifically when I'm rewatching these games, but from watching them all twice, at least, uh, you know, watching them live and then watching them again the next day, it seemed like JD Duplain did his job better than, uh, than most, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Was, was there anybody who really stuck out to you as, as good or bad in, in the offensive line group individually? Like you said before, um, you kind of have a tendency to group the offensive line into almost one, I wouldn't say one player, but one unit as you're evaluating games and everything, given just the inability to really accurately track stats or anything. It's kind of hard to point to one guy or another, except just kind of, 
anecdotal moments that you see from, from these guys. Obviously, a lot of times you see the bad more than you see the good for these kinds of guys. Our tackles, I think, had a pretty rough year um, all in all. Uh, but no, I mean, J.D. Duplain certainly was kind of that guy who stuck out for me. He was kind of the guy you have the, that big run where you see some, who's, who was that big dude who swung outside and really got out, you know, on an outside run with a lead block. And it, more times than not felt like it was Duplain. Obviously, guards are put in that position probably more than any other offensive line um, position. But he, as a sophomore, kind of usurped Blake Buter for the starting job. He was not starting to start the year. We had interior line struggles pretty much right off the bat against Rutgers. He came in and really started to elevate his game and did a great job. The other guy that really has me excited is Nick Samak, who didn't have quite as good a year as Duplaine, but, um, you know, as a true sophomore uh, in a pretty deep uh, position group coming into the year uh, and at center where Matt Allen was starting the year, I don't think a whole lot of people expected him to get a lot of snaps in there. And he did end up filling in and, and playing quite a bit this year. Um, like I said, not as impressive as Duplain for the year, but as a true sophomore, certainly someone you can look to going into next year to say, hey, this is going to be an important piece in our offensive line if we are going to make strides and improve. You know, this is a young guy who, you know, certainly showed potential last year and hopefully will be will be a building block for a strong group next year. So all in all, like you said, there's still a lot of question marks in this line. Obviously, you have Devontae Dobbs leaving. That was a guy that a lot of people were hoping was going to step up this year, well, last year, then this year, and people were looking to next year again. He's obviously gone to Memphis now. So um, we'll see kind of what that looks like next year. We'll see if guys like A.J. Arcuri or Matt Allen stick with the program. They were both redshirt seniors this year, but given the eligibility waiver, they, I guess, have the open door to come back. I haven't heard anything either way from those guys. So uh, we'll see on this group. But yeah, Duplain and Nesimak really impressed me this year. I'm excited to see what they can kind of build into going into the new the new offseason and the new season next year. Yeah, and, and we brought in the kid Jarrett Horst from Arkansas State. That is a transfer that could be in line for one of those starting tackle jobs. We'll see how that all plays out. But yeah, there might be a couple of young building blocks here. It was a rough year, but I, I think there is some individual talent. Moving over to the defensive side, uh, we'll start, I guess, let's let's kind of group a couple of these together and just see if there's any big takeaways because um, you have sacks and tackles for loss. Uh, sacks, I predicted Jacob Panishuk. You had Antoine Simmons. Tackles for loss, I had Naquan Jones. You had Antoine Simmons. Um, the way it played out was Drew Beasley and Michael Fletcher tying for the lead in sacks with Antoine Simmons uh, leading the group in tackles for loss. So for these defensive categories, I guess, making plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't know. Like I, I had Jacob Panishuk. I think that he, he just had one sack. I think he had a pretty good year. I, I don't think that's, you know, necessarily to say like, ah, he had a down year, just one sack. He played pretty well. It was inconsistent. He's going to be coming back next year. And this is when we talk about what's going to be hard to predict next year, I think sacks is going to be the hardest one because Drew, Drew Beasley led the team this year uh, with three sacks is coming back. Michael Fletcher, who tied for that lead with three sacks and progressively got better and better as the year went on. Uh, he's coming back. Jacob Panishuk is coming back. He has the most starting experience of anybody on the defensive side. 
And then we brought in the the Duke transfer, Drew Jordan, who had double-digit sacks in his career. So that defensive end rotation is going to be a big strength for this team next year. It's going to make the predicting the sacks a lot harder. Um, but as you go to tackles for loss, Antoine Simmons kind of ran away with this one. He had nine tackles for loss. Drew Beasley was second with five and a half. Um, and then you have Noah Harvey and Naquan Jones in there. So um, Antoine Simmons, I think you could have predicted for almost every defensive category and, and you would have, if not been correct, you would have at least been close. Uh, and that doesn't really surprise anybody. So I don't know. What are the big takeaways as far as tackles for loss or sacks or, or this defensive line group uh, as we transition here to 2021? Yeah, well, just got to give myself a pat on the back because this is the only offensive or defensive category tackles for loss with Antoine Simmons <laughs> that I actually got right. So just want to take my moment here because the rest is ugly. Uh, we'll get to special teams in a minute where we both had a, a couple more uh, highlights on our predictions. But um, yeah, like you said, I mean, the defensive line, it should be strong. You've got a little, a couple, well, a little bit of production to, uh, to make up for on the interior, obviously with Naquan Jones departing, but you know, you got guys behind them like Deshaun Mallory who, uh, who are, you know, really promising in their own right. So I'm really confident in this defensive line. Um, kind of when we're talking about this, where I do start to really get concerned and we've talked about this before is what are we going to do with these linebacker positions? Um, Noah Harvey, you know, we've talked, we kind of beat this horse a, a little bit too much. I think he, he statistically had an okay year, but, you know, being the inside linebacker, the strong side linebacker on this defense, this whole year, he was going to get his tackles. So, you know, seeing him second on the team with total tackles and third on the team with tackles for loss. I don't want to take anything away from the kid because, you know, he made those plays, but at the end of the day, he was in the position to make those plays probably more than anyone on the field the entire year. So um, he's coming back. Will he be kind of that foundational middle linebacker uh, inside linebacker of Michigan state's program next year? I have concerns about that. And obviously we talked about Antoine Simmons and the incredible year he's had leading our defense. He's gone. And when you look behind him, I mean, a couple guys we thought we could rely on to potentially fill in that depth are, are leaving too. Just Lord Boateng just transferred out to Akron. Um, and behind that, you've got Nauteote, who is promising, but at the end of the day, he's going to be a true freshman. And how much can you rely on a true freshman in a really fundamental position like a, you know, outside linebacker in a 4-2-5 defense? I'm worried about these linebackers. And it's it's probably as you look across our entire roster, it's probably the position that has the most snaps up for grab and the most production up for grab. I mean, somebody's going to have to fill in for Antoine Simmons. And like I said, he's going to be in a position, whoever it is to make a lot of plays. So it's really important for us to find that guy, get him comfortable early and, uh, and, and get him moving. Because if that's kind of a, a revolving door position next year, the defense is going to look lost quite a few times you know next year and, and it, it'll be interesting to see who who moves up I'd love for it to be Nate Ote but like I said he's going to be a freshman I don't want to put all the pressure in the world on him in an important position like that we'll see kind of how he progresses but uh yeah linebackers uh a little bit of a question mark for me looking into next year yeah the the defensive line like you mentioned I, I feel pretty confident about it I mentioned the defensive end rotation and then you you mentioned a name like Deshaun Mallory I can bring in Jalen Hunt like 
the defensive line is going to be good next year. The linebackers probably not going to be very good next year. And, and hopefully we'll find some, you know, average big 10 players like that. That's kind of the, the goal for me is like, let, let's make this position, not a liability as I'm kind of seeing it playing out as of right now with Antoine Simmons out. But yeah, man, I, I don't know. Like again, that's kind of the big takeaway here is, is defensive line, good shape. The linebacker group, not good. And that, that was something that I, I mentioned as a worry going into this year as well. Like Antoine Simmons is great, but I had like the preseason power rankings and we'll talk about those as we go along here. I had linebackers as the, the second to worst position group on the roster, just because everything behind Simmons was not good. And then you go into 2020 and that's basically how it played out. So that does worry me a lot. Uh, the rest of the, the, uh, I guess it will, we'll lump in tackles here. I had Antoine Simmons. You had Xavier Henderson turned out to be Antoine Simmons by, by a pretty significant margin. He had 75 tackles. The next highest was Noah Harvey of 54. Xavier Henderson was third. Um, again, I just want to give you some credit here, some context when we go back and listen, because, um, you mentioned like, yeah, the safe money is probably on Antoine Simmons, but I think Xavier Henderson is going to have a, a breakout year and they're going to use him a lot in this scheme. So I'll, I'll kind of do you some, some favors before you get a chance to speak on it real quick here. But that was just something I wanted to make sure I mentioned because a lot of these categories, right. It's like, if I say, well, Xavier Henderson's going to lead the team in tackles. There's a difference between me saying, Xavier Henderson will lead this team in tackles and me saying, I don't know, like it could be this guy or this guy, but I guess I'll take Xavier Henderson if, if you're going to ask me now. So I, I just want to give you that little pat on the back, but uh, yeah, so, so Antoine Simmons is out, you know, we've talked about it a lot and what that's going to mean for this defense moving forward. Um, Xavier Henderson coming back should be one of the leaders here on, on this defensive group as a whole going into next year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, this goes right back. I won't speak too much on this because, you know, I spoke a lot about the linebackers and the last uh, position group we were talking about, but um, yeah, Xavier Henderson, I mean, he had a good year, just didn't really know how this new scheme was going to have guys, you know, in positions to be making plays. He was in the box quite a bit, but was also in coverage a lot. So um, I mean, he ended up as far as solo tackles, Noah Harvey actually led the team with 31 Simmons had 28 Xavier Henderson had 24. Um, You know, the two linebackers, Harvey and Simmons had a lot of assisted tackles, which really boosted their numbers. So, yeah, I mean, I'll give myself credit. Xavier Henderson was more involved in tackling than he was last year. Uh, I just didn't really know what, to what extent. And, and like you said, Antoine Simmons was always a safe bet here. Uh, But for the sake of parody, I decided to throw a different name in there. Uh, Just didn't, didn't hash out that way. But yeah, when you look into next year, I mean, like you said, Xavier Henderson's going to be a huge leader. He's going to be in a similar position, depending on how, you know, our linebackers shake out. Maybe he will be the leading tackler next year. I'm sure we'll get into predictions, you know, in like August or something of this off season. Uh, so we'll get to that when the time comes, but um, yeah, I mean, I think when you look at next year, you would say Noah Harvey's probably the favorite to lead the team in tackles. And then whoever that second linebacker is, is, is probably, you know, the next highest odds, if you will. 
uh, largely very much depends on, on who that is. And another guy that just popped into my head. I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but do you move a guy like Darius snow down to outside linebacker? I mean, his weight, depending on where you look anywhere from 205 to 215, you had Antoine Simmons playing at 225 there. So, you know, he could take the off season with a wide open outside linebacker position, put on some weight, and he's certainly athletic enough to play in that position. So there's a lot of different directions that position could go. You could even still see a transfer come in, you know, from maybe a Mac team, like an all conference guy who's looking for a grad transfer season. I don't know if there's, I haven't really looked at the market lately, but um, yeah, that position is really intriguing to me. Um, and it will have a big influence on, on this position or this, this stat, you know, total tackles going yeah, forward in the next and year. And you mentioned Darius Snow, like Antoine Simmons, that was end of career Antoine Simmons at 225. I think 2019, right. 2018, he was definitely lighter, whether it was all the way down to like 210, 215, I'm not sure. But um, I would imagine that he was somewhere around 217, 220 tops. Uh, he, he's definitely... Yeah. He put on some weight going into this year. I know that for sure. So, um, yeah, I, I could definitely see a guy like Darius Snow bumping down to a linebacker spot. That's a lot of his tape you look at in high school, and, and he's playing around the box. He's making tackles. So I, I think he can certainly uh, move down and play that spot. Last up, before we get to just a, a quick wrap on the special teams, is the defensive back kind of statistics, uh, interceptions and passes defended interceptions we both had trey person passes defended we both had julian barnett so clearly we were way off on both of those um shakur brown and uh kalon gervin tied for the lead in passes defended shakur brown obviously leading the team in interceptions he was the only player on the team with an interception and he was tied for the lead in the ncaa with five of them so we were way off there um, now, again, some context with the Trey Person predictions. We both made a statement that was basically saying this is a scheme pick and not necessarily a personnel pick. It was saying, okay, the, Trey Person's probably going to be the starting free safety. And in a cover three defense, the free safety is going to get a lot of chances to kind of roam over the top and, and, and make some plays. Turns out Trey Person's just not very good. I don't know. Like he he had a pretty rough year. There was yeah. a lot of times he was getting turned around in coverage. He was missing tackles. I, I just think we're gonna we're gonna be looking for an upgrade at that position here. Hopefully this year, if not next year. So that that was one that I you know I can pretty comfortably say hand up. We were definitely wrong there. Uh, and passes defended same thing. Julian Barnett obviously kind of a, a fan base darling because of the high recruiting rankings. I think most of us would comfortably have said in August of last year that, yeah, Julian Barnett's going to play a lot of snaps. They're going to get him involved. So that was, you know, both of us just kind of buying into that and saying, yeah, the, the kid's talented. He's athletic. He's long. He's going to get on the field and he's going to make some plays. So uh, we were definitely both wrong there. He barely played at all this season on the defensive side. He had three total tackles and that was about it. So mostly on special teams. I, I don't know how many, how many snaps he got on defense. It wasn't very many, but yeah, I don't know. Hand up. We were, we were way off here. Yeah. I mean, 
thankfully this was a group that I think exceeded expectations. It just didn't come from the necessarily the personnel we, we had predicted. Um, I mean, our, our past defense was hit or miss. We had some games that looked like they really couldn't dig their heels in and stop anything, but there were other games where they really started to shut guys down. And it, I mean, credit to Shakur Brown. He, he played more than I thought last year, just looking back at the snap counts and the tackles and the, everything from last season, he actually he started played, like five games in 2019. Yeah, yeah. He played more than I realized. And it was a kind of a quiet year for him last year. He didn't make a whole lot of waves and certainly didn't lead us to believe he was going to tie for the lead in the country in interceptions this year. Um, Kalen Gervin hit or miss year. I'd say he had a pretty good year. Um, kind of was that shutdown corner who, who didn't get thrown at as much because he was, you know, more talented on the outside and Shakur Brown did get, thrown at it a bit more and made plays on the ball uh both had a really good year and uh yeah i mean julian barnett i mean again kind of beating a dead horse surprise kind of in that eli collins bucket of really expecting a big year from him and just kind of fell flat um and, and trey person yeah i mean he's a natural corner i was nervous about putting him at safety you know when they did and and it kind of showed he just seemed to struggle all year with positioning with ball skills with just the general scheme as a whole and um like you said we'll be looking for an upgrade but um yeah it was a hard one to predict and and we we just got it wrong um but but like i said it was exciting to see i think having harlan barnett as our defense or as our cornerbacks coach um, is already paying dividends both for the personnel we have now and on the recruiting trail. It's a, it's a position that we can con- continue to look forward to. We have some good recruits coming in um, that should uh, should be promising for us, and maybe even we'll be able to make a splash next year. And uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a tough one to predict, but it wasn't I would say our weak point in the defense this year. And and looking forward to hopefully some more strides, but. When you look at that cornerback position, I mean, last time we talked, Kevin, we were kind of in the middle of the cornerback exodus, and we haven't really touched base on that yet. Obviously, Barnett transferred, Shakur Brown to the NFL. Um, you really, all we have left from a consistency standpoint is, is Gervin and then Angelo Gross, who showed flashes this year, but, you know, still has some things to prove. So it's going to be a weird position next year. Like I said, we have some recruits. We'll see what happens, but uh, definitely far more of a question mark than anybody would have expected maybe yeah, a that, month ago. That spot has been a bloodbath this off season, man. It's like, I, I brought it up last week that it, I think, yeah, it was, it was Angelo Gross and Kalon Gervin are the only two scholarship corners who are returning everybody else is a former walk-on or an incoming true freshman like it's it's rough and that's coming from a group that halfway through the season we're like all right you know hey everybody's looking pretty good julian barnett's not playing but hey the guys in front of him are making plays so that's okay and all of a sudden yeah chris jackson decides to leave davion williams decides to leave shakur brown declares for the draft you're like uh oh what what just happened here i don't know if dominique long is going to come back for another season um i think <laughs> he's already been here for like six years so he might just want to move on with his life but um yeah i don't know it's going to be fascinating we'll wrap this up with the special teams though uh field goals we we both predicted coughlin i don't think that's really surprising to anybody uh the punting we both predicted mitch crawford to lead the team in punts 
Uh, it ended up being Bryce Berenger, who had 37. Mitchell Crawford had nine punts, so we weren't totally off there. He did get some action. Um, and then kicking and punt returning, we both predicted Jalen or Jaden Reed, excuse me, to to lead the team in both. Now kick returning, he had 16 kick returns, uh, led the team by far. Punt returning, though, he had two punt returns for 14 yards, and Jalen Naylor had two punt returns for 18 yards. So he just beat him out there. Uh, I guess we were we were wrong, man. We we shouldn't be doing this anymore. I, I don't know. That's that's going to be a prediction that haunts me uh, for the next few years for sure. Uh, the four yards of the the punt returning, but no I, special teams. I, I don't know. Like Matt Coughlin, is he coming back again? I, as I'm assuming he is because we haven't heard anything different. Um, the punting, I know we're bringing in a freshman, Bryce Berenger. He's, he's he looked okay outside of a, a few bad punts. Like it, it started getting better as the season progressed, but it's certainly not somebody I'm like really confident in. Um, and then Jaden Reed, we've talked many times about his mishaps returning. I just, I don't know. It was like a headspace thing where there was just a lot of mental errors. I think physically he can certainly make plays, but there were a lot of mental errors back there. So I don't know if, if Jalen Naylor is going to get a bigger shot, if there's going to be one of these freshmen we're going to bring in maybe Harold Joyner. I don't know, but I think that um, somebody's going to have another opportunity there, but I don't know any takeaways here from the special teams. Well, I mean, I'm not too surprised at what we saw, you know, from a personnel perspective this year. We knew Reed and maybe Naylor were going to be kind of the leading um, guys for our for our returns. Um, the punting, we talked about it a little bit during the season on the episodes we recorded. Kind of surprising to see the inconsistency there. I thought we had two good options in, in Behringer and uh, Crawford. It's eluding me now. Crawford, thank you. Um, and it just kind of was, they left something to be desired for sure this whole year. And it was, it was frustrating. Um, we were supposed to bring in another Australian punter, Mark Vassett, who was, I mean, kind of sounded like a lock for a while. They haven't announced anything that he's not still coming, but I've seen some various grumblings and rumors, everything on his social media for MSU has been taken down. Apparently Michigan state no longer lists him on the official lists of recruits or whatever lists they have um he doesn't really have a 247 profile because he's from australia so i wouldn't really count on that I, I haven't seen anything but just you know reading the tea leaves maybe something i mean it is like a 25 26 year old guy from australia deciding to come to a college in the united states i mean that's a lot of things can kind of throw a wrench in that plan so we'll see kind of what happens next year with the punters hopefully we'll be able to find some more consistency i don't i guess as a grad transfer Mitch Crawford could still stick around. I think he would still get that blanket eligibility waiver everybody else got. Um, I don't see why not, but, you know, he looked real iffy this year. Behringer looked a little bit better and really actually looked good at times, but then sometimes would really, you know, screw up. So, and it was just inconsistent. So we'll see Matt Coughlin again, like you said, should have run out of eligibility this year, but with the blanket waiver, I guess, would be coming back. Haven't heard anything different. And, and I, I will really welcome know. him with open arms. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, he, he even started hitting, you know, 50 plus yarders this year. So he's really becoming a consistent, well-rounded college kicker. So, um, I mean, as a whole, as a group, we're going to need to see other than Matt Coughlin, 
we're going to need to see improvement um, from the special teams, both on kind of the defensive and offensive side of special teams, if you will, you know, when we're coverage or, or returning, it was, it was bad all year. Um, and it seemed to snowball and get worse and worse as the year progressed. So I don't know if that means a coaching change or just a different kind of uh, approach to how we're teaching special teams, but it was frustrating. It's not an area you should be losing games and making big mistakes. I'm fine with a conservative fair catch everything special teams approach if it means we're not making mistakes, but we had a lot of mistakes in that area this year and, and they're certainly going to need to clean them up if we want to play competitive football. So um, we'll see, but you know, I think there's potential there to have, have good groups. And, and like I said, it should be an area we should be able to clean up. It's, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not the one playing football, but it's not that complicated. So um, hopefully they'll clean it up next year. Yeah. I, like I, I talked about it quite a bit on the last episode with special teams, like the units were not good as, as a whole, like you said, I mean, in this context, specifically evaluating the kicker, the punter and the kick returner punt returner. Like, I guess it's not that bad, but as a, as a unit, yeah, it was terrible. Like the, the punting unit was terrible. The kickoff unit was terrible. The kick return unit was terrible. Like, but I guess specifically those positions, it wasn't as bad as, as the whole, but yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting. And, and uh, in about eight months, we'll be doing this all over again. And, uh, hopefully we can get a couple more right on, on the, as a whole, I guess, um, just to kind of recap, I got correct. Rocky Lombardi leading the team with passing categories, George or Antoine Simmons leading the team in tackles, uh, Matt Coughlin and Jaden Reed with the special teams. You had Antoine Simmons with tackles for loss. Coglin and Reed for for field goals and returning. So it was pretty rough. <laughs> that's that's um yeah, three combined non-special teams uh predictions that were correct, but as as you're sitting here laughing and scoffing at us, um just kind of go back to what your opinions and takes were back in August and and hopefully you have some humility and appreciation for us admitting where we were wrong. So, um, I don't know, hopefully, uh, everybody had a, a happy, safe new year. As we turn the page here, we're going to have a lot of off season content. So, uh, really looking forward to hearing from you guys follow on Twitter at standing room MSU and at Spartan Martin 18. Uh, make sure you subscribe rate review and share this with a couple people. It takes two seconds to anybody that, you know, who follows Michigan state football, your brother, your friends, just uh, as you're listening right now, click the little copy link, post it in the group chat, post it with your, in your text message with your brother or something. I I know uh, there's a lot of Michigan state football fans out there. So I really appreciate the support. Have yourselves a great start to the new years. We're all heading back to work. And we will see you again next week. Take care, folks.